The following episode contains material that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Loudspeaker. What would you do if you found out the company you had been working for had been extensively trained in and sunk 12 years of your life into was actually a cult? Sarah Edmondson was a part of one of the biggest, the Nexium cult led by Keith Raniere. In this episode, I speak with Sarah about her, at times, horrific experience with the Nexium cult. We discuss the manipulation, psychopathology, and scars that were left by her 12 years in a psychopath scheme to create an empire with secrets, sex slaves, and unbelievable scars that for some will last a lifetime. Join us as we also discuss Sarah's book, Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. Sarah also stars in The Vow, an HBO miniseries that is now streaming. So hold on tight. This one's a rough ride down a dark and dangerous path and the true and tender experience of someone who has traveled there. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. If we understood the world, and if we understood ourselves, that's worth everything. ESP Nexium is a methodology that allows people to optimize their behavior. Nexium is the umbrella company. Keith was the founder. He was a legend. Our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives. It's a worldwide organization. When conventional solutions don't work, maybe the unconventional way of thinking does. I was looking around at all these people that just didn't seem joyful. I started to get concerned. There's a secret organization in Nixium. They sign a lifetime vow of obedience and they're branding girls. And they're trying to recruit other women to do this. I'm so strong. Like you'd never be able to do what I just did. I always want to earn my authority. There's a lot of things about the organization. It's just not right. Our commitment is our power. You stay. There's no good way to leave. Ever. I have to expose what's going on. This has to be stopped. There are a group of people who are going to the press. We are filing criminal charges. You're branding my wife. Everybody is a blend of good and bad. We're playing some sort of game. Chances are I'm going to win. Nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing. I just want to welcome you, Sarah, to the show. So wonderful to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I, I listened to your book. So oh, I, did you? Yeah, oh, cool. which I absolutely <laughs> loved. And, and just hearing your voice, it, it makes it so powerful. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad you listened to it because it, it is my, my, my voice written, but also my voice because so I can emphasize what's important to me. You know, and that means, so it means a lot. Thank you for reading it. And you also probably know a lot then now. I do. And we can have a deeper conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. 
We're going to be talking today with Sarah Edmondson and the book. We're going to be talking about the book Scarred, the true story of how I escaped from Nexium, the cult that bound my life. And this is Sarah's story of 12 years of being with the organization Nexium that at the end became revealed as a cult. So let's talk a little bit about that. We'll go back to the beginnings of this in 2005. I can totally see how, as you were being introduced to Nexium, that this would have been attractive. I see myself as someone who, those are things that are important to me, personal growth, helping other people, wanting to make it a better world. What were the things that, that drew you in and, and got you hooked into joining this organization? Great question. And everything you just said, there was a real sense of community that I'd found my tribe. And while I didn't necessarily jive with everyone, like there's lots of different age groups and different socioeconomic backgrounds, I felt like everyone had a very similar uh, value set or mission for all those things you just said, specifically helping people and having an impact in the world. And that really seems like that was one of the big things when, when they would say things like, we're family, really drawing you in. And, and we have that natural inherent need to belong. Mm -hmm. That's part of how we're hardwired. Yes. Which some people will say, well, you know, that's a vulnerability or I would never fall for that. And maybe, but I think it's a very normal, natural vulnerability to want to be a part of something and to do something meaningful in one's life. I just got done listening to a podcast about Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's exactly right on. Mm -hmm. Ironically, that was required reading. Oh, interesting. <laughs> in, our, in our group. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, And that, that was mm -hmm. one of the fascinating things. Can you talk about how they used things that were truly therapeutic techniques, NLP, things that actually can be used for good to the extreme. Sure. One of the things I learned about in my cult recovery is that, you know, nobody joins a cult on purpose, right? They join what they think is a good thing. And that good thing has to have value. And Keith, as sociopathic, narcissistic, sex addicted as he is, is also very intelligent. And he learned how to draw from other modalities and repackage those things in a very slick and, and efficient way to grow through one's issues, as, as we called it. So, you know, in your seeking path, you've probably come across almost everything that, that we taught. And some of the things I was aware when I was in it, like, oh, that's a bit from Buddhism and that's from, you know, some basic therapeutic models. But what we thought we had would go uh, way deeper and, and way quicker. So for somebody like myself who doesn't sit still very, very long and wants to like get through my, we called our issues like our shit. So I wanted to get through my shit so I could, you know, live the life that I wanted. So when I did my first five day, which was 12 to 14 hours a day of self-reflection and digging in and looking in at our issues, pattern, shit. I thought, this is amazing. This is so much more fast than anything I've ever done before. So I was hooked. And yeah, to answer your question, Keith took from cognitive behavioral therapy, NLP, 
Buddhism basic tenets of truth, of growth. Like I was saying, that podcast I just listened to that you did with Catrice, in terms of consciousness and joy and choice and, you know, being, our, our terminology was being at cause, being a causing agent in your life and choosing, you know, learning how to choose joy. And I liked what you said in your, in your interview with her that, like, that choosing joy is a choice. Right. So that was all those things that we taught. I think, Sarah, truly, like one of the Mm -hmm. really fascinating parts about all of this is how susceptible any one of us could be to this. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't about you being naive. It wasn't about, oh, you were just being blind. I mean, these are Mm -hmm. we were talking about the therapeutic techniques that they use. And I think about being in grad school, the cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, that was what I chose as my, you know, orientation that I was going to specify in. And so as I was listening to this, you know, to your book, I'd be like, oh my God, that's a technique I use, you know, or that's something that we use in therapy. I mean, in therapy, we really do challenge people to own their own stuff, Mm -hmm. to take responsibility for their behavior to say, you know, yeah. I, I want to change my behavior, change my reactions. I mean, they were really masterful in coming up with these things that they could actually take and then manipulate people by. Yes. How did it, how did it change into manipulation? Well, again, ironically, Keith used to talk about how the tech, his, what we thought was unique to him, his methodology, which he coined rational inquiry, as you know from the book, he said that it's a tool and it's, it's like the knife in the hand of a murderer is different than the knife in the hand of somebody, uh, a surgeon, it's like somebody who's ethical, for example. So we thought that he was this ethical surgeon and here's this tool and we, and we could see how it could be used to manipulate. Just like with sales, you know, if you, if you understand NLP, you can manipulate somebody into buying something that they don't want to buy with NLP, right? It's a, it's a tool. So you can also manipulate your children to get dressed with NLP. <laughs> it's a tool. And I, I don't think I'm, I'm, that's, a, it's bad to do it. Did you, you have to like figure out ways to get your kids to do stuff, right? So I think it became manipulative when you understand that somebody has bad intentions. And I think that's why there's people who are still loyal out there, believe it or not, to Keith, because they feel like he's good or they think that, and they believe at their core that that Keith is good, and all these things that he's done is for people's growth. And ultimately, you know, I I used rational inquiry. I gave people EMs, which is like the therapeutic, you know, process of helping someone overcome an issue or overcome what we call the stimulus response to something. So if somebody had a, you know, for example, my technology just failed, that could be a big trigger, you know, I could go like I could spiral and then freak out like that could be a trigger. And then I would bring that to my coach and they would look at why that bothered me so much. And perhaps, and this will be interesting with your background, like look at the belief system that held that reaction in place. Right. And usually that evolved, revolved around digging into a memory of something that happened as a child where something maybe similar happened and that you would put something together about the beliefs around the, how the world works that became the underpinning to your current adult reactions. So that's a really wonderful thing. And I now know since leaving that's in a lot of different therapeutic models is to reframe, to fill in missing information you didn't have as a kid. Keith didn't create that. 
But if somebody like Keith or whoever wants you to do something that you don't want to do, for example, you know, go through a horrific branding moment, which we, you know, we can talk about a little bit, the, they can change, they the facilitator can cha- take your reaction and say, you know, well, you seem upset about that. What, what are you making it mean? And change the meaning for you. What if it doesn't mean that? What if it doesn't, you know, what if it's actually a symbol for your growth? What if this is your commitment to your development, which is ultimately a commitment I made 12 years prior when I joined, I was committing to growth. And so anytime you didn't want to do something, it was manipulated against you as, well, it's just your own fear or it's just a limitation. So that's, I think, the main way it became manipulative is it's is using people's issues to point out flaws in one's self uh, is one thing. And also to get to, to feed the leader's objectives, not the person's objectives, which should be foremost in therapy. Of course. Of right? course. Yeah. And, and what, a, what a trap. There's no win with the what do you make, you know, what, what's the meaning you make of this? Right. Because that could easily be, yeah, I mean. Exactly. And, and it also, one of the things I was really aware of is this, what once you had really shared with them what your own issues were when you were talking about control mm-hmm. and that you want everyone to like you. Well, those are really universal things, mm-hmm. right? We all have that. And yet when you shared those, I heard over and over again throughout the book, those were the exact things that were used against you to control you. Yeah. Hundred percent, and that's I think. I mean, luckily that that was the sort of extent of my, you know, my dark secrets. But I know other people that came and shared way way worse. And that was even before Keith implemented collateral, which is a nice way of saying blackmail. People that now I know people were held there in a coercive way because of because he could hold those things against them, right? In a very tacit way, not like if you leave, I'm going to release this. It's more, it's, it's a very subtle type of coercive. Yes. Well, and my God, it it just progressed into that. I mean, it became just years of this mind conditioning Mm -hmm. to get you to the point. And and we'll talk about later where, and the Mm -hmm. love of your best friend, Lauren, Mm -hmm. who it sounds like, you know, in wanting to be close to her, and she was so brainwashed that, of course, mm-hmm. you'd be willing to do things to be close to your friend and, and to think yeah. that you were serving the organization and the world even more so. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because this listening to your other podcast talking about the concept of like choice and that you can always take responsibility for things that have happened in your life. So like many of the things in back to the manipulation question as well like many of the tools in Nexium, there was like the good and the bad of it. And this is something my husband and I are, are thinking about, like, you know, how are we, how can we explain this fully? Because with every module, every class, every concept, there was how it was helpful in our lives and then also how it could be used in a manipulative way. And so the choice thing, you know, great. Yeah, I feel empowered. My first five days, like, wow, I cause everything in my life. I create my own emotions. I'm not a victim to my circumstances. I can change out of my emotional state like that. Wow, that's great, you know? However, when you are upset about something, like something's not right here, that the the leadership is corrupt, perhaps, or starting to recognize that I'm being coerced. If I'm upset about that, then my reactions are just something I need to go work on because it's my issue. There isn't a place in a cult for outrage, right? So... 
when I left and I was upset about what had happened, it was turned against me. This is exactly why we needed this women's group because Sarah's having a tantrum and isn't this the worst thing that women do? They victimize themselves, which can happen. That does happen in the world. That's not what was happening with me. So that's the flip side of the being at cause. And it's a type of gaslight. It's gaslighting is what it is. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I had an experience recently where my husband got in a little car accident and then I was driving a rental car and then the rental car was parked in my mom's street and a big tree branch fell through the rental car. And then I had like two claims with the insurance company <laughs> and a friend of mine who is like very much the spiritual journey with me, but maybe a little bit further in a way that doesn't resonate with me, which is fine. Like we can be on different pages, but she said to me something like, isn't that amazing, Sarah, that you're so potent that you caused the tree branch to fall into your car? And I was like, oh, there was this feeling inside of me because I recognize that's the feeling of being gaslit. Something happens in your life and the instant the the group or the leaders would say, well, you, don't you see how you caused that? And there's truth in that to a degree. You know, like when I'm stressed, I lose things and I drop things and I drop the ball. And so like my stress has an effect on my environment. Do I think I can cause a tree branch to fall? That's where I personally draw the line. Some people may say, well, it's possible. I mean, <laughs> maybe my stress is that potent. I don't know. But it's more the process of somebody saying, well, do you see how you caused that? You know, that just feels so like, again, it's the tool. Is it coming from a place of help or is it coming from a place of trying to hurt surgeon or murderer? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my God. It's kind of tie in all your questions, manipulation and being at choice. So yeah, there all of the, all of the, the content pieces that we learned had a good and a bad. And that's part of been my, part of my healing is going through what's good. Where did it come from originally? Like who wrote that book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm like reading Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. So I hope I'm saying her name. Yes. Right. Love her. That book was, says love her. I love her. I love her. I love her. And Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Like when, as soon as I started reading these books, I was like, oh, oh, that's the exercise I really liked from the five day that now I can say it's from here and I can use it and not feel like I'm using some dirty tool that a sociopath made up. Exactly. What, what an yeah. important, oh my God, for your healing distinction between, mm-hmm. you know, finding that line. Yeah. Like, where is that? Where yeah. did it cross the line? Because as again, as I was listening to the book, I kept hearing these things. That I'm like, yes, those are things that would have given you a sense of self, things that would have helped mm-hmm. you to heal other areas in your life. And yet when yeah. these same techniques are then turned against you, like the thing that you were just sharing about, like having your own response or reaction Mm -hmm. and then taking it to the extreme of like, well, if you're having a response, like you're never allowed to have negativity, Mm -hmm. then you're, you're not dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, some fear. You need to take ownership for all the tree branches that somehow you're magically (laughs) causing to fall down on cars. So I, yeah, I really, I really, really hear that. So I'm curious, you know, with your healing journey, what -hmm. continues to be the things that help you to heal the most now? Great question. I I do, I do love talking about the healing part because it's so positive. (laughs) 
<laughs> compared to the other stuff. It's just so, uh, so dark, but uh, you need the dark to know the light, right? So in addition to what I just said, to, to figuring out where the tools came from and uh, reclaiming them for myself, I've spent a lot of time in various modalities of actual therapy. And that also takes time because I have to ex- kind of explain to therapists what, you know, what, tri- <laughs> what triggers me. Because saying, what do you mean, is a normal question to ask in therapy. So like to elicit more information, well, what do you mean by that? Or tell me more about that or, you know. Mm-hmm. And my mom's a therapist too, by the way. My dad's a counselor. So I grew up in this, in this world. But yeah, I have a, you know, I have a cult. I have a three or four actually cult therapists, uh, and I now call friends, but one of, them, one of them is my real therapist, and other of them are cult educators and trainers who have helped me to understand like what happened to me, helped me to understand you know, why I did what I did at the end and, and how and what had happened to my mind, essentially. There's a couple books that, I, that are actually on my website that I refer people to that if they've been in cults, one of them, actually, I have it here because I wanted to tell you, it's called Take Back Your Life. And uh, it's by a cult expert named Yanya Lalich. And this book is not just for cults, recovery, it's for also for abusive relationships. But I'm about to narrate this book. I'm about to do the voice narration for the for her or for Audible because when I got it, I was like, this needs to be on Audible. And she's like, oh, I know. I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> Perfect. So it's very much in line like with what I what I want to do next in my life. But uh, yeah, reading these books, understanding what happened, talking about it is just, you know, pe- people are like, do you want to move, up, move on with your life? And I'm like, this is part of my healing. Like for me, because I, I brought so many people in and, you know, I know, and if you read my book, you probably got a sense. Like, I know that I had good intentions. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I was trying to help. And then when I found out that, that what I, the, the world I was bringing them into wasn't, true, I felt like I had to help them. And actually, Yanya wrote in here, you'll appreciate this with your background. She wrote, Dear Sarah, I just saw this yesterday. I thought it was funny. Despite your savior complex, you're doing well <laughs> and will only do better in taking back your life. I'm delighted to know you. Warmest regards. Anyway, so I have savior, savior complex. Even me bringing people into ESP, I'm like, I want to help. I want to help. Oh, oh, you're broken. Let me fix you. Or you're struggling. Let me help you. Let me give you tools. Like that she calls it savior complex. I like to help people, whatever you want to call it. It's part of my thing. Yeah. So even when I got out, I was like, well, <laughs> got to help these people. <laughs> so whether it was like giving them a copy of the book or getting them into therapy, part of my healing is, is fixing any damage that I caused. And that's a fine line because in the Nexium world, you know, I could take responsibility for a lot of things and there's some things I can't take responsibility for. And that's also part of my healing. Like the people who are still loyal to Keith, Right. You know, my, my instinct is to, you know, like I'm still trying to help them. And my husband's like, you got to let it go because all the information is there and they don't want to look at it and you can't force them to. So that's hard for me because yeah. I can't save them. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't fully say that I've let that go. I'm trying to let it go. Right. Maybe right. some tips on that. <laughs> well, it is. I think um, that's hard, you know. Yeah. And, and to really not take responsibility. I mean, that those people also, yeah, the, the information's out there. And so it's, it's this process of waking up. Yeah.
You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Hey, it's Stephanie. This week's Audible recommendation is an easy one. Everyone should read Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life, by our guest, Sarah Edmondson. In Scarred, Sarah details the 12 years she spent in Nexium, how she became a whistleblower that exposed the inner workings of the cult and her fight for justice. Just for listeners of The Spark, Audible is offering a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of their amazing surface. So choose any book you want and cancel at any time. The book is yours to keep no matter what. Scarred is my choice for this week, but you can absolutely choose any book you like, and it's yours absolutely free. So give it a try at audibletrial.com slash the spark. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash the spark. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. You know, that's one of the things I wanted to speak to, too, in going back into your Nexium experience. There were times throughout mm-hmm. the book where I heard you would have these intuitive hits about things. Mm-hmm. Like way back in the beginning, like I remember this story about when Keith would want to take walks with you. Mm-hmm. And there was something inside of you that was like, yeah, I don't want to take any walks alone with this man. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the time I, I thought it was more like what I, the story I told myself based on that intuitive hit was, well, what, what would I say? You know, like he's the smartest man in the world and I'm supposed to only go to him with things that I can, I can't go to anyone else for. Like, what am I going to ask him about? So it was like always kind of keeping him at arm's length. But now in retrospect, I think it was my intuition, just keeping him, keeping him away from me in, in that alone because that's, I think, where he really gets people is once he has their trust, they're alone, and he offers to help or mentor you, and then it's downhill from there. So, you know, I think in many ways I dodged a big bullet, and obviously I have scars emotionally, physically, but I, I got out on the other side so much better than so many of the people, especially the women that were close to him and moved to Albany and gave up their whole lives. And can we talk a little bit about Keith as a personality for people, you know, for those people sure. that truly don't know who this man is, who, who don't know who Keith Ranieri is? Because when you just said yes. the smartest man in the world, you know, I remember listening to actually a podcast about the Nexium cult and from one of my favorite podcasters to Dan Cummins, who's a comedian. But th- there wasn't a lot of funny things that he was sharing about the cult. I mean, that definitely was a much more serious podcast. But one of the things you know he was talking about, it was the way that 
Keith presented himself and these fake IQ tests, the fact that he's in the Guinness Book of World Records, that he proclaimed to be all these things like a judo expert and this, Mm -hmm. you know, classically trained pianist. And Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, I mean, this, this guy who obviously is a sociopath, but we also know with sociopaths, they can be very charismatic and really draw people in. Yeah. Can you give us just a little bit of like a profile of, of what your experience was like with him and who he is? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that's, that he did that was brilliant is that he usually didn't, usually didn't meet people until they'd already done a 16-day training. So by the time you've met we, an average person to meet him, you've already gone through this training where you're literally being showered with this indoctrination of Keith's brilliance. And if you had a good experience in the 16 day, you leave it, at least for me, being like, wow, he's like this mind. Like I respected his mind. I respected his passion for the world, his mission to change humanity, to use his intellect to change humanity, shift humanity. And every day we're going, thank you, Vanguard, and, and praising him. There's a lot of tribute, which tribute is a really, you know, it could be a really beautiful thing. It's something to acknowledge what someone else has, somebody else has done or built. Like you paid tribute to me at the beginning of my of our podcast to say like how I affected you and why you're, while I'm on your show, like that's a nice thing to do, right? feels good. It's self-defining and it's also can build somebody up. So Keith was built up in our minds as this almost godlike f- uh, figure. So the time you meet him, you're like, you know, I'm not worthy kind of thing is, is part of the, the cult's programming. But for me, when I met him, I, and I think for a lot of people, they'd it just, it was a bit underwhelming. Like he seemed very normal. And, and I think the word I used in my book was schlubby. And there isn't to be a better word to describe him than schlubby. Like he's just very normal, especially when I met him in 2005, he still had his long Jesus hair and was very dorky. He did get a, a rebrand, no pun intended in 2009, when a bunch of people left and they kind of like shifted his image and cleaned him up and gave him nice shirts and stuff. And if you watch the vow, you can see that, that like progression. But yeah, Nancy would always say that he would do these forums and like wax poetic about various topics. And that at the end, Nancy would come out and be like, Nancy is his like partner in crime, his sort of sidekick, the teacher of his ideas. And she would be like, wasn't that amazing? She'd say things like, you know, how anyone, anyone hearing Keith for the first time in the audience, someone would put up their hands and, and, and someone would always say, yeah, like, it's interesting. He just seems kind of normal. Like he just seems like a guy. <laughs> and she'd be like, isn't that amazing? that he can just bring himself to our level to relate to us. So she'd spin this thing to be like an asset of his, that he was so brilliant that he could, he could have such incredible rapport skills. He could relate to us lay people in a normal way. So, yeah, I mean, over time, my relationship changed as I, as I went up the ranks and I became more inner circle, not inner inner circle, but, you know, closer the core and spent more time with him in this in small group settings versus like with hundreds of people so that was you know and I I you know it, it changed it changed over time but ultimately I never let him in I never got close to him and thank god yeah yeah well and talk to that <laughs> point that that piece if you will too I want to come I'm, I want to circle back a little bit to the yeah. intuition because I think it's really such a pivotal and important point in all this. Mm-hmm. And you just spoke about the ranking, which mm-hmm. again, as I was connecting to your story, I was like, oh my God, I can see myself because I'm such an mm-hmm. overachiever and I 
I want to, you know, get to the top of the ranking and I could just see like, Mm -hmm. I want to get that green sash and, you know, so talk a little bit about, you know, I, I, it was fascinating that it like took you three years to go from the yellow (laughs) to the orange sash and how they really use that to control you and manipulate you. What was that ranking system first all about for people that don't understand? Sure. Yeah, it was very much similar to a martial arts dojo. So in the same color rank too. And also interesting watching my son go through Taekwondo from white to yellow to orange and going up and there's stripes in between. Same thing with with martial arts. So that was something that Keith, you know, people be like, oh, that's so weird. Sashes, you know, yeah, we were obviously looking back in retrospect, all the things that were weird. But if anyone had a problem with it, I'd say, well, it's just, it's no different than going into any martial arts dojo and going up the ranks and learning very specific skills that are, once you have them under your belt, so to speak, you get, you get promoted, you go to the next rank. And that was something that really interests me, A, with personal development being something you can measure, because up until this point, and still to this point, I don't see any measurability of joy, like how do you quantify that? And they believed that they had found the scientific model for joy. And it's, you know, the step, the step, the step. And I also loved it because as an actor, you can do all the things and look the right part and work your butt off and not get the part. So now I had something that was very specific. I do X, I get Y. And that felt really good for my self-esteem until it, until it did it. I mean, the idea of the stripe path, I think is a very cool thing. And I, in fact, I encourage parents to put kids into martial arts because I think it's good to have a measurable system of growth. This was not that. It was all a facade, I found out later. But at the time, it was it was really good for me. And also to push to the next level and not give up because I was the type of kid who would like, you know, in swimming class, if there was a test and I failed it, I'd be like, well, I don't want to swim anymore. I'm not going to give it up. So that was helpful for me. And I, that and really uh, spurred on my desire to go up the straight path. But yeah, I got to a high rank. I got to one of the 12 greens. There was 12 green sashes, I think, or 13 when I left. And then there was one blue above that and then two purple sashes before Keith and Nancy. So there wasn't, wasn't a lot of high ranking people. So I, I mean, I worked really hard to get to that level. And I also, ironically, I learned a lot of skills. Basically, to be a green, you had to, you had to be able to run multiple businesses, which I was doing at that time that I left. I was running multiple businesses with Nexium and also as an actor. And then I think running a household is also running a business. For sure. You know, but yeah, the story path basically measured your growth, your your personal growth and measured you to recruit in order to go up the straight path. And you also have to be able to uh, teach certain things and every, every skill, every sash jump was a different level of ability and skill, but you had to be doing all three. Yeah. And so working your way, because at first, when you first get into Nexium, you were a participant. So you're going to these self-improvement seminars. How do you, how did you then become a teacher? So you became, first you become a coach, which is like an unpaid internship to becoming a, which called an orange sash, which is a coat, a proctor. So but the, the path from white to orange was a long journey of taking classes, drilling the, doing drills on the technology, like practicing with people, coaching people, going to Albany, taking trainings. I mean, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. The And, and most people never got to the paid level. So it was, you know, I think I talked about it in my book. There's a chapter where, which called Illusion of Hope. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the one of the most gross things that Keith did is he would use somebody like me who worked really, really hard as a poster child. Say, so look, Sarah can do it. And 
then making it very difficult for other people to to get to those levels. It was very arbitrary too when when people were promoted. And so the dangle of success, and this doesn't happen just in cults. People use this as a, as a way to, to elicit what the, you know, what the narcissist wants, the promise of something else to, to, to procure more value. I have to, just to circle back for a second, you mentioned something about intuition. And I forgot to say, when you asked me about the healing, what I've been doing for healing, there's, I mean, a ton of other stuff in regards to like, you know, yoga. I do yoga almost every day. I, I try to get out in nature at least mm-hmm. once a day locally, but out into the woods about once a week. Be with my kids, pr- learning to prioritize, learning to say no, um, setting healthy boundaries, um, eating well, taking care of myself, taking care of my body, not getting too busy and stressed with other people's stuff. Like just really taking back, taking my life back has been a huge part of my healing and also CBD oil. I'm a big proponent of CBD oil. Awesome. In terms of anti-anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, but I'm also open to suggestions. Like when I was listening to your podcast, I was like, I bet Stephanie has some nuggets for me. So feel free to (laughs) lay them on me. For me, one of the biggest healing things in my life has been able to, Mm -hmm. it's been having that morning routine Where, you know, you wake up and you exercise and then I'm a big, big meditator. So that Mm -hmm. to me, that's been one of the essential pieces because it's one of those things that like no matter what's going on in my circumstances outside, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I I can't have control over all of this, but I can Mm -hmm. come to this place where there's this wonderful internal self. And for me, it's, it's my connection with you know, my higher power, right? So whether you yes. call it the divine or spirit or whatever. All those names. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's truly where I find my grounding. So yes. one of the so two things I guess I would share with you, Sarah. One of them is one of the greatest meditations that I've been doing lately that is just so grounding for me is to sit on the floor mm-hmm. with your legs out straight and your back up either against the wall or on the couch. But your legs are out straight and then your hands are on your knees. And literally what you do, you you put on your phone 10 minutes and for 10 minutes, you're just breathing and focusing on feeling your rear end and your legs on the floor. Wow. Like what you are doing is focusing on like, you know, some people call them Mm -hmm. chakras. So it'd be like that lower energy center where that's where like a sense of safety lies. So you feel really safe grounded. And yet still, it's also where you can feel this kind of sense of abundance. And so for 10 Mm. minutes, that's all you do. I mean, and it's so great because the the moment that your mind goes off, you just bring it back. You can feel into your body. I love that. You know, you might even Mm -hmm. do like a Kegel to bring like all that energy back to the ground. Yeah. Right. And then after that, you should be doing anyway, after two kids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so and then for 10 minutes, you lie flat in Shavasana. So after you do the 10 minutes of healing into the floor, then do 10 minutes of Shavasana with your hands up and then you just let it, allow it to integrate. Mm -hmm. That's great. And it's, it's so peaceful. I feel like every time I do that, I just get, I call them downloads, but it's, it's just like these wonderful, just like everything's okay. You know, it Mm -hmm. stress leaves my life. And when I have that connection for me to the divine, then I really feel like life is manageable. And I notice myself reacting to things in my exterior world so much differently. 
Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I feel like some, one of the reasons I end up going to yoga is just for the Shavasana. So I have the space to meditate because it's hard here with two kids oh, to course. carve that out. For sure. Know? But that's, I like that you gave that particular exercise because I, I do better with meditations where there's something to do or a focus, you know, versus totally. just chilling my mind is, you know, I like, I, I like guides. I like being guided a little bit. So yeah. I will try that. Absolutely. Okay. And and the last one yeah. I want to share with you really quickly, because I actually, I just started this meditation group on Thursday mornings at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. I would love to have you join us. You could keep your monitor oh, off if you don't please. want to be seen. And so yesterday what we did, we had our first group. And so we practiced just doing, going into the different centers, right? Energy centers. Mm-hmm. And then I led them through an imagery of being an oak tree. Oh, I love that. So of really just feeling into the trunk of your body and then feeling your feet being just grounded into the earth mm-hmm. and then imagining that you're like pulling up the nutrients from the earth into your being. Mm-hmm. And then the the wonderful feeling of feeling like your head and your arms, it's like those are the mm-hmm. branches and the leaves. And so imagining like the sun shining and you're also getting this wonderful photosynthesis from that and, and how mm-hmm. that's feeding you. And then to imagine even if there's storms, right? Even if there's thunderstorms or the, you know, the branches get swayed or the leaves are blowing around, the trunk remains solid. Love it. And we stay really rooted, you know, rooted into the ground. So people, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, people really responded so amazingly to that because I think that's kind of what's going on in our world today. We have all this, yes. you know, chaos and all these outer, totally, yeah, outer turmoil. And so instead it's like, you know what? there's a place I can come where I can be right there, right? I can mm-hmm. be that solid oak and I can feel grounded into the earth. So those, those are the two so things, great. yeah, that I would suggest. And I truly, that would, that would just be such a joy to have you join us on Thursday mm. mornings. Do you do the, do you guide it? Uh-huh. Do you do the guiding? Of yeah. It? Oh, I'd love it. Count me in. have to tell you, Sarah, that, you know, there were times where, you know, I would just get the chills listening to your story. And I felt so identified with you in that I'm a very similar personality type to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm one of those people. I can feel that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where I get excited about things. I love going to personal growth seminars. There's so many similarities and I can see going to these grand events that Nexium put on. Oh my God, I would absolutely get hooked thinking like yeah. this is great it's- i feel good i'm growing i can help other people grow when things started to unravel a little bit mm-hmm. what what were the signs because at some point and, and this is again going back to that intuition it from what the book said you know from what i understood there were times where you would have that intuitive hit all the way through this mm-hmm. but number one you weren't allowed to question Right? Yeah. Also, I think the number one thing that happened that was the sort of preempt for undermining your intuition was that they taught us that it's very normal to take a training and have the urge to leave. They call it urge to bolt. And that's part of the process. You're going to hit up against your uncomfortable issues. And, you know, we don't want to talk about these things. So we want to leave. And that there's truth in that. 
You know, right. there's truth to the, you have to get a little bit uncomfortable to face some of your shit. But that's got confused with, I don't feel right. This doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't, something intuitively is telling me to leave. It's different. But if you subscribe to the original request, which is to stick it out, and and like for me, I trust the people that brought me in who kept saying, just wait, like, just wait, it gets better. And like, it's, it'll make, I know the sashes are weird, but it'll make more sense, which is something that I ended up saying to other people as well. Like, I know the sashes are weird, but like, wait till the end of day five and you'll feel really good about your sash because you earned it. Blah, blah, blah. So the indoctrination coming from people that you trust is very different. And that would happen that people would come who were referred by somebody that, that they maybe didn't have a close connection with and they maybe even would leave because they trusted their intuitions. Like I, especially if they'd, be, if they'd been raised in a cultic environment. Like I'd, I had uh, a couple of people who had been Jehovah's Witnesses or raised Mormon or all sorts of different things. And they'd be like, look, red flag out. And they're like, I have already been through this. I'd never been through that. And nor was I educated on, on cults like I am now. I mean, I think if I'd gone to a seminar at the same age, but in this year, like in 2020, mm-hmm. I would have been, I would have got out of there because I know so much more because it's in the zeitgeist now with, you know, going clear and holy hell and wild, wild country and all these amazing documentaries that expose what cults are now. And it's not just shaving heads and goat, goat's blood and robes and chanting. It's personal development. Personal development is a hotbed for cults right now. So that's, I think, something really important to talk about because I was blown away when I found out there's like literally, number one, like over 600 million of these multi-level marketing agencies out there. Yeah. 600 million. So that, you know, yeah. that's mind blowing. So it's, it's everywhere, yeah. right? And how, or what would you, I guess, I'm, I'm curious, what are the warning signs, Sarah, that, that people should be looking out for as they're joining these organizations? Oh, there's so many. But I think probably the most important is, is there some leader at the top who is being revered and has no accountability? Somebody who is the boss, the guru, the man, whoever, or woman, who nobody can question. That's a really important thing. There's no, if there's no checks and balances and there's somebody at the top who knows everything and their way is the only way, huge problem. And that's not just in cults. In multi-level marketing, there's always some brilliant scientist or something who created some special mango juice or whatever that's going to change your life, right? I personally don't have room in my life for that industry. I find it really toxic. But oftentimes, you know, if there's some sort of structure where you're building to grow towards the getting there is actually, they make it look attainable, but it's not attainable. So, you know, doing a little bit of research into how you are to get paid and how that actually works. Most of, most of those companies depend on the fact that people will never reach the payment level that they think. So it's, it's, it's a lie. And I think when that, when you relate that to personal development, there's, a big group whose name I'm not going to mention <laughs> that is much more popular than Nexium and is in every city that I know. And they may not be branding women, but 
it's also based on a lie. And the lie is you're broken and you need to pay a lot of money to be fixed. And that's the only place that they can, that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem for me. And when people ask me if I think those groups are cults, and I say, yeah, absolutely. May not be as destructive as Nexium, but it's a cult because people join. They have some personal shifts and it's fine. This is what I would say. If you can take a, if you could take a course and take the tools and put them in your life, put them in your little toolbox of life and move on. Great. Right. But if you make your life about the group and you devote a whole bunch of time to the group and you have to do that to get more good from the group or a ton of money, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that particular group, and you probably know which group I'm talking about, I hope. I do. <laughs> okay. And mine is, the problem is, is that they, they, they give you a bunch of good tools. So you feel good. You feel elated. You feel high, right? You feel like, oh, my life is so great. And, and then they also show, show, shine a light on your, every group has a different name for it. Your shit, your stories, your pathology, your issues, your deficiencies whatever yeah yeah deficiencies yeah shine a light and go but you need to work on this and you'll never be happy you'll never get what you want until you work on this and guess who's got the tools we have the tools for the low low price of only two thousand dollars right yeah yeah so for people who buy in that's an expensive journey and i guess you know most of these modalities are Again, like they have got good and then depending who's leading it and what their intentions are can be bad. I'd look, yeah, I'd look for the leadership, look to see where the money goes, look to see if there's an end in sight. Like, can you take this training and then you're done and then you graduate and then like you can move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and is there transparency? Is there secrecy? Also the other warning sign I would say in re- to, to research, if there's people who've left and have grievances with the company or the leadership, there's probably a lot of truth in that. And if the leadership dismisses those claims as saying, oh, well, they're just like, there was a lot of women who had come forth against Keith. And we were always told they're just, they were in love with Keith, women scorned, well, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? Always dismissed in that way. So and so went crazy, which is also what they said about, said about me when I left. Of course. They went unhinged, which I kind of did for a minute because my life was upside down, but. I wasn't actually crazy. So I think those things are really important is to do the, do the research on the leadership. How, how are those nuggets? I, I could go, I could do a whole hour just on. Like, on what to watch out for. On that. Yeah. So I, I, I want to, I want to give a couple of very clean ones for people, but I will say that more so from the vow than the book, when that aired, many people wrote me from around the world saying, I'm in a group that I had some intuition about, but I didn't know how to label it. And then when I saw the vow, I did research and I realized that I'm in a cult. So thank you. Which has been like a huge next awakening for me about like my purpose and what I'm doing here yeah. to, you know, shine light on these things. And ironically comes full circle with why I joined in the first place, feeling like lack of meaning and lack of purpose. And here I am. I feel like kind of complete now, by the way, like yeah. purpose done. Now I can just like, enjoy my life and not feel so, what am I doing here? Wow. That was so amazing and painful and raw and rough. You know, it was so difficult hearing about the level of manipulation that, that went down in Nexium and just how Keith Ranieri used 
those therapeutic techniques to manipulate people and that they then became double binds that your own words and the vulnerabilities that you shared were used against you. It was painful for me as a therapist knowing that the same techniques, the same things that can be used to help people to heal were also used to bind people into the cult. Also at a personal level, this was so powerful for me because I am one of those people like Sarah who is a go-getter, someone who is driven, somebody who wants to learn self-improvement and then share that with others. So I think it's important that we really think about what that would be like for Sarah and know that any of us could get trapped in something like this. This is a woman who just wanted to put good out into the world and she saw herself growing and healing and changing and wanted to share that with others. And then the horror at finding herself deeper and deeper immersed in a system she couldn't get out of. So join us next week for the second part of this conversation when we talk about the continued manipulation, the branding, and the story of her whistleblowing and connection with the FBI and the trial that resulted in Keith Raniere being sentenced for 120 years. We also hear from Sarah's husband, Anthony, fondly known as Nippy. And what an awesome conversation with him. And he just adds so much insight as well. He also being a member of the cult. So both of these people coming back for an amazing second episode. Join us and please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You don't want to miss an episode of The Spark and join us and continue to ignite your best life. Next week on The Spark with Stephanie James. It was the point of no return. And I now understand I have to tell Sarah. So, hey, Sarah. How's it going? I'll tell you what I know. There's a group of women that have signed a vow. They've given things as collateral. They're under strict orders about how much they can eat, and they're trying to recruit other women to do this. That's fucked up shit. Jesus. And here's the thing. If people were part of a secret group and they were more fulfilled, I'd be like, fucking great. But if people are part of a group where they're coerced by fear, then we're talking about a whole different level of shit. If you really look at it, you'll, you'll see Keith flirting with the girls all the time. Fucking people is whatever, whatever. My concern is that these girls are displaying all the things in, in high control, mind control situations. And you understand that if people were invited to such a group, they weren't, it wasn't presented this way, it presented something else. Were you ever invited? Well, if someone was invited, they're not, they can't speak of it. So you were. Did you give collateral? This isn't being recorded, right? Like I, I can speak freely. I want you, you to. I want you to know that I record. I and I have for quite a while every single conversation. 
Give me one second. When we switched off the recording, Sarah tells me that she is in this thing, that it's called DOS, and then she tells me um, they branded me as well. And I remember going, something like, what? They brought, they did what? What the fuck? This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.